to Job uh, chapter 19, as, as the young boy said back in the day, turn to Job 19. And we're going to do a little job here in 19 uh, of Job. We're going to start with verse 23 and work our way down to 27. Notice these words <clears throat> said long ago, but still very appropriate for us this morning. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, would You open this Word to us this morning? Holy Spirit, there are some here that need to hear this Word this morning. May You speak things that I don't speak. May you say things that are not said by anyone here but you. And may they know it's you talking to them. And may we then respond to that word that you've laid on our heart. May we respond in true repentance and faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about 11 years of age in middle school, my brother and I and my father were out cutting wood because he was too cheap to buy a gas log. And so he had free labor, and so he labored us, uh, almost lost my thumb, which we'll save for another story, uh, but cutting wood. So I was on the splitting axe, Justin was the loader, and uh, Father was, was cutting stuff up as well, either with a chainsaw or another axe. And there we are working on a Saturday morning, you know, and uh, it, was, it was a brisk morning. I remember it was, it was very cool that morning. And uh, this big van pulls up. Now, that van belonged to the church secretary, uh, Miss Peggy. And, uh, and so Miss Peggy pulls up, and, and she's just crying. She's weeping, and uh, she jumps out and says, Hey, uh, Marty has been shot, and uh, you need to get to the hospital immediately. Because back then, didn't have cell phones. And so she had to bring the word to us uh, in person. And so, <clears throat> without any delay at all, we, we jumped into the car, uh, Dad's car, and sped off to um, Decatur General at the time. And so, Justin and I, I mean, we're little guys, you know, we, we, we've not, we, we had had up to that point and a great aunt die, but you know how that goes. I mean, we didn't really know what was going on. We didn't even know her, so we didn't understand anything of what was going on. This would have been our first encounter, really, with death coming to our door. We knew Marty. Marty had just recently been saved. He's a young guy in his 20s. And he was married with a two-year-old. And uh, so we, we knew him. He had been over to our house. Him and Dad used to work on cars together. And so we thought he was a cool guy because he knew about cars. And, uh, and what boy doesn't like cars? And so 
we, uh, we knew Marty. We knew his family, and I knew, the, I knew the two-year-old. We used to have to sometimes help with the nursery uh, because there was no one else to do it. And so that's the job of the preacher's kids, do whatever else nobody else does. So uh, we were in there with Tiffany, and, and we, would, we would actually be playing with her and, and whatnot. And so we knew the family very well. So we went up there, and there began to accumulate people uh, from the church, started trickling in. And uh, one of those was, was somebody that we really looked up to as, as little kids, again, Sort of, sort of a Bob figure, honestly. If you know how Bob operates here with children, uh, this guy for us was, was like a Bob in our church. It, his name was Joey. And he would take us and he would let us watch kind of sketchy, uh, violent movies, war movies and stuff, you know. Um, right. Now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that addendum, Bob, because that is true. Bob, would ne- Bob and Deborah would not do that. So uh, that's, that's good to have documented here, Bob. Uh, <laughs> But Joey did, and so we, we thought he was all first time I ever saw Predator was with Joey. So we, we were we were we were pumped in you know, military and stuff. So we saw him went, Hey Joey, how's it going? And he was he was really downcast uh, and so he was part of the family of Marty. And so we didn't know what was going on, you know, and so everybody was saying, Hey, he's been shot, there's a hunting accident, you know, and so uh, my dad of course wasn't with us because he was back in the back. And then I'll never forget, it was is as clear as if it happened yesterday. Uh, Justin and I were just kind of goofing around with, with Joey, and he had to leave. And so we're just kind of sitting there, bored, you know. He comes back in, and he just grabs both our heads and puts it into his chest, and he said, he's gone. And I just thought, Wait, what do you mean he's gone? He's got a two-year-old. He's just got married not too long ago. It's almost Christmas what do you mean he's gone? Like just for a little while? All these questions rush into the mind. And as he's crying, and now we're crying, I remember going back to the house after it was all over. It's a hunting accident. Someone tried to move a branch, didn't have their safety on, shot him right through the heart. His last words were to God. He cried to God. It's the last thing he said. And he's dead. We go back to the house. I remember sitting there on the couch and we just sat there. Didn't say anything. We just sat. And we began to ask questions to Pop, you know. What does that mean? How is that possible? I mean, how can he be here and now he's gone? How can it be forever? How is that possible? It just doesn't seem right. Death never seems right. Even when you expect it, it never seems right. You can even plan it. You've got hospice there. Everybody's there. Everybody knows it's going to happen. And yet when it happens, it still isn't right. Something's not right about it. Something seems off about it. There's something that wells up in us that just we all understand it's not supposed to be this way. And yet it is. It's the most universal thing that all humans share together is that we will certainly die. You can bank on it. It's going to happen. There's a character in the uh, Bible who also deals with this question. It's Job. He loses his entire family to what we believe is a tornado, which we can understand that here in this area. Four winds come in and crush the house where all of his children were feasting at one time and it kills them all. He loses all his belongings. 
Now, we're given more information than Job's given at the beginning. But according to Job, he has no idea why this is happening. Just as you, oftentimes in your life, when you suffer, or when crisis hits, or when death comes knocking at your door, you also have many questions, many doubts. Job has been a person within the Bible that many have looked to for consolation. And yet, what's almost comical is there are no definitive answers in Job on why we suffer. And yet, we find comfort there. So I want to explore a little bit this morning this thing of grief, this thing of death, And in general, this thing of evil, because we know that death is an evil. It always is. Every time it happens. What is redeemable? Is there anything redeemable? Well, Job says this, if you notice, and I think it's almost... I have to laugh when he says it. Oh, that my words were written. I mean, he's getting frustrated. If you know anything about the progression of Job here, and by the way... If you've never read Job, it is one of the classics. Now, what we mean by that, biblically, is you miss it, you're going to miss a huge portion of the Old Testament. It's one of the books you cannot miss. You're saying, well, are you saying there's a couple books you can miss? Ah, you can, I mean, you can probably scoot by with, with a couple and still get the whole picture still. I won't tell you which ones because I don't want you skipping them. Um, but... But you could probably, you could probably you know, skip over those and actually pick up most of the stuff somewhere else. But Job, you're not going to find something like Job anywhere else in the Bible. It is very... You know, interestingly, it's a poetic book. It's not even in the historical books. It's not a prophet. He's not in the Pentateuch. He's off by himself up against Psalms. So, if you haven't ever read it, you should. If you, if you have, then you'll know that right about this time in chapter 9, he's actually starting to get really frustrated with God. And then, you know, you kind of laugh looking back, just like yourself has been very frustrated with God or maybe your parents at some point, and now you look back and kind of chuckle. But at the time, he's really, his friends, which with friends like his, who needs enemies, right? Um, You know, they come and try to console him, but ultimately are pointing the finger and say, hey, look, somewhere along the line, Job, you sinned, and now God has made this happen. I mean, that's that's the way things work, Job. Have you never read, you know, Deuteronomy? And, uh, of course, Job hasn't because we think that Job actually lived probably during the time of Abraham or before the time of Abraham. And how we know that is because no mention of the temple. No mention of any scriptures. There's no mention of any sacrifices. So everything that we have that was given to us by Moses, even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has none of that showing up in Job. Not even the land, which always is going to make a state, you know, statement about the land in every book. Not in Job. He's probably before it. He's probably very ancient. Maybe it very well could be the most ancient book we have, quite frankly. All God, all Job has is God. And he's saying, God, where are you? Because these folks right here, they're saying I did something bad. I did not do something. You're the only one that knows I didn't do something bad. I need you to come down here and tell them I did not do anything bad. And he's starting to get a little frustrated here now. And you can understand his frustration. He says, look, oh, that my words were written down so that one day when I am justified, when I am vindicated, I can actually point back to it. 
Well, thankfully, the words have been written down, haven't they? They found their self all the way to us now in 2015. So if this was around the time of Abraham, which is about 2000, 1800, something like that, B.C., then we're looking at a long time ago, right? And those words are still being repeated, still being heard today, and we can still see that Job actually was vindicated. He did not sin. He did not. They were wrong. Actually, at the end of the book... And this, this is a warning to me because, you know, I do quite a bit of speaking about God, even for God, which is, hum, which is very, very scary, actually. But he says at the end of the book, he says, Job, they didn't talk about me rightly. And I'm not going to forgive them unless you forgive them. Now, that's, that's pretty powerful. So here's one thing that we can take home tonight, today, is this. Let's speak rightly about God even in the face of death. Our tendency when something happens bad is to just give, start giving cheap answers. Job is a book that will say, whoa, whoa, whoa put the brakes on that. Don't offer people cheap answers. Someone loses their daughter. Oh, God needed another little angel in heaven. Well, first of all, we're not angels. God doesn't need any more angels. If He did, He would have created them in the beginning. He's a pretty sharp guy. Amen. Mathematically, He knows what he needs, how many He needs. He's got them already. He doesn't need another angel. Now, I'm not making fun of... I, I know people have said that before. I understand what's being said, but it's a cheap answer. Notice the Bible never gives that answer. Jesus doesn't come to the tomb of Lazarus and say, Yeah, guys, just keep crying because uh, you know He needed another angel. He took Him. No, 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 that's not, not the answer given. David, when he lost a child, you remember because of his sin? Nobody offers him an answer. Nathan doesn't come along and say, hey, God just needed to take him, you know. And No, you don't get a cheap answer in the Bible. And I don't think cheap answers are helpful. They're not going to be helpful for me if something like that happens. So don't come saying that to me when that happens because I'm not, I'm not, going, to be, I'm not going to take it well. The reality is, there are no cheap answers. Not given in the Bible. Instead, we're left with the deep and complicated problem of evil. Why does this young one die and I still remain? Why this one and not that one? Why now? Why here? Why that way? Millions of questions. And we're not here to answer them. Because ultimately, God remains silent for Job. There's just silence. Job's crying and there's just silence. And sometimes you've been in a place, I've been in a place, where there's just silence. And so, what is the answer? Well, the answer shows up later, but I'll I'll pause for just a moment to finish this thought out. These words were written down, and then Job says this, and this is in 25. Now again, think, he doesn't have any prophecy about the Messiah. He doesn't have any understanding about some kind of prophetic person coming later on. And listen to what he says. This is one of these instances where Job is speaking above his pay grade. He doesn't even know it. But he's speaking actually outside of himself. This is from the Spirit. He says, For I know that a Redeemer lives. Now, his understanding of Redeemer is a kinsman Redeemer. Do you remember the story of Ruth? You remember in Boaz? 
where Ruth and Naomi are really in bad shape. And Boaz comes along as a kinsman, someone related to them. And in the ancient world, if you were related, it was your obligation to take care of family. It wasn't a question of if you were. It was when you get started. Because it is your job to redeem them. Maybe we could take a little bit of understanding from the ancient world on that. But nonetheless, that's what Job means by a redeemer. is someone that's a kinsman. Someone that's related to them. And so he says, look, I know there's somebody out there, this redeemer figure, we obviously interpret that as Jesus, that lives. <laughs> and that at the last, I love the way he says that, at the end, he's going to stand on the earth. Now again, this just blows my mind that Job would even be, be able to think that thought, but that's from the Spirit. I'm telling you, he's speaking outside of, he's speaking more than just to his context, he's speaking straight to our context. And he says, after, notice this, after my skin has been destroyed, after I deteriorate in the grave, guess what? I'm going to see him. My flesh shall see him, shall see God. And again, he keeps he said three different times, whom I shall see for myself. He clarifies it even more. And behold, my eyes will behold him, not somebody else. I'm gonna see him. You know, as uh, as uh, Nana <clears throat> lay there yesterday, um, you know, I couldn't help but think about this. This was in the back of my mind, even though I didn't read it yesterday. This is what I was thinking. Is Nana, even though her eyes are closed now, she's closed up in a vault now, under the ground. And yet, one day, one day, those eyes will actually see God. Just as all those who have gone before us. It doesn't matter how you died or how mutilated or obsolete your body has become. He's going to put you back together. He's the one who created you in the first place. Nothing is too hard for him. And so, those eyes will come open. I love the way the Bible series actually ended. You remember where Jesus was laid in the tomb or whatever, and then the next series, and at the very end, his eyes came open for the resurrection. You know, It's like, I just have that image in my mind. That's going to happen. That's a reality. It's a reality that Job was looking for. He said, one day there's going to be a Redeemer that comes to stand on the earth and He's going to wake everybody up. Even when Jesus resurrected, you remember people got up. You remember that? It's the craziest story I've ever heard. I've never preached on that yet. I don't even know what to do with that. People got up from the dead and started walking around in town. Talk about the walking dead. There you go. That's the real walking dead right there. For real. You know, Jesus visited a funeral. A family member of His died, Lazarus. And the shortest verse in the Bible, if you don't know any verses in the Bible, you should memorize this one. (laughs) It's real easy. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It may be the shortest, but I think it holds a powerful punch. And that is, He actually can sympathize. Didn't we just read that this morning? He can sympathize with us. He is our kinsman because He's taken on flesh. You understand that God cannot die. That's impossible. By the definition of God, God can't die. It's abs- that's a philosophical impossibility. 
And yet, when He takes on flesh, a human body, human bodies are good at dying. It doesn't take much. We drive around in these metal hunks. Those things can collapse. And what's left a lot of times is not much. The body can be shredded, killed very easily. (laughs) And yet, Jesus, God, God Himself, Son of God, Son of Man, takes on a body so that He can die, so He can share in our death. And you know what? If you continue reading Job, what the answer ultimately becomes is God showing up. Now, when God shows up, He shows up in this whirlwind. Alright? And he, he doesn't sit there and say, Job, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit. Let me give you some answers to the question. And ask your question, and I'm going to give you an answer. Instead, He says, Job, who in the world are you? Like, who are you, buddy? To ask these questions to me. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're in charge? Yeah, like you all got it all figured out, big guy. Do you? I sound like talking to my kids, you know? <laughs> I said to my kids, who in the world do you think you are, son, talking to me like that? Do you really think you know what goes on? You have no clue why I'm not letting you go over there or do this or do that. You have no clue. And you wouldn't know even if I told you. So I'm not going to tell you. And I think that's kind of what God says to Job. And he said, even if I were to explain it to you, you're not going to understand it. And what good would it help, Job? Will it bring back your children? No. Will it undo the situation? No. So what good for you to know is it? And he leaves it that. Which I think he's pointing to the ultimate answer, which is Him. God is the answer. It's God. And here's what God says. He says, you know what? I am... You know, if you guys have to swallow death... If you've got to experience death, then I'm going to come down and do it with you. So you say, well, I blame God then. And Job does. Well, that's fine. Because he says, you know what? I'm going to experience it with you. I don't have to, but I'm going to come down and do it for you. And do it in such a way that actually through death now comes new life. And that really turns things on its head. Have you ever noticed how many myths deal with resurrection? Have you ever read any kind of myth before? Uh, you know, you have gods dying and resurrecting all the time. Uh, you know, just like the crop fields will die in the winter and come back in the spring. That's how they I mean, crop is a god. The sun comes up and goes down, uh, this dying and rising. It's all over the place in nature, and nature is the gods, if you know how mythology works. So the ancient people used to write all the time about this sort of resurrection, coming back to life. And yet they had never seen it in reality. No no one had resurrected, really. Only the gods do that. Not only that, updated a little bit to our movies. Think about, just, just start watching in your epic movies for resurrection. Think of The Matrix, for instance. Neo. He dies... And he gets back up. And he goes and wins the day. And we're all, yeah, you know. Think of Gandalf, who fights the Balrog, which is a demon. And he falls down into the pit, and he comes back Gandalf the White. Think of the Chronicles of Narnia with Aslan, who lays down his life to save that snotty-nosed kid. 
And he gets back up. And he wins the day. Think of Harry Potter, who at the very end of Harry Potter, that whole series and long extended movies, at the very end, he dies. He is killed. He steps out and goes and meets Voldemort. Tom Riddle used to be his name. And he dies. And they're carrying him. And he gets back up. And he wins the day. She's not even a Christian that writes this. Now why does that identify to... Why does that sell? Why does that... Why do we gravitate to that? It's because it's for real. Those are all shadows. Those are all whisperings of something that's real. You see, we have the most real story. Those are fake stories. Those are made up stories. Those are epics and myths. This is not myth. Job says, no, 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 no. I know one that's going to live. He's a redeemer and he's going to stand on the earth himself in a body. And you know what Revelation tells us? That Jesus himself in his body is going to ride a white horse to the earth and stand upon the earth. He's actually going to... And you know what? We're all going to see it. It doesn't matter how long you've been dead. It doesn't matter if you hadn't died yet. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, it doesn't matter if you're living or you're already falling asleep. You're going to see that day when He stands upon the earth. Hallelujah. And He's a Redeemer, by the way. He likes to redeem things. He likes to save things. He likes to save people. He likes to bring them back to life. And some of us are in the midst of death, not just physical death. We're in the grips of sin. And you know what sin always produces, Paul says in the New Testament? He says it always produces, it always pays death. Death is the devil's business in a real way. But sin is his means. And you know who participates in sins? We do. That's why we must be purged. Because if we're not, those sins will drag us to hell itself. Drag us down into the pit. The pit of darkness. You could think of a black hole. Black hole holds no light. It's a place of nothing. Almost like a hole. That's why they call it a black hole. You know, a hole is just the absence of my clothing here. And yet, aren't holes dangerous? I've busted a tire before in a pothole. Kind of fell asleep, went off the road a little bit. But I don't. Tire busted immediately. Potholes are dangerous. So too, if you've ever been climbing a ladder, if you don't have a rung there, that's dangerous too. So in these instances, nothing can be really dangerous of something. And this is how sin operates in our life. It's the opposite of God. It's anti-God. And we must not allow it to stay in our lives. We must not, Paul says, allow it to rule over us. You go back all the way to uh, Cain. All the way in the Old Testament to Cain. You know, Cain killed Abel. And God says, Cain, before you step out that door, I want you to understand, there is sin crouching at the door. You step out, it's going to pounce on you, and you're going to go murder your brother. Cain opens the door. And so have we. And so have I. We must close that door. We must stay in the protection 
of the king's house and not try to do things on our own. Not try to be God and determine who's right and who's wrong and I'm right and you're wrong. Instead, we need to understand that sin runs through us all and it must be purged. You cannot bring that to heaven. It will drag you down to hell. I'm just being straight up with you this morning because I love you. Because I've seen death at work in my own life. I've seen death at work in other people's lives. And if we're going to be resurrected, we cannot live in death. We must reach out for the hand of Jesus who reaches out to us to raise us back up from life, to life from death. There's a story in Matthew 9 that I shared yesterday at the funeral. I love the story because there's a little girl that dies and her dad is looking for Jesus because he thinks that Jesus can raise her again. He actually believes that. And he's a ruler too. And so, you know, he's, he's got a bunch of doctors at his hand, but, but no, he thinks Jesus can do this work. And so Jesus finally comes to the house and the girl is dead. And she's dead. And they're already weeping and they used to pay people to actually weep. You know how you pay a funeral director to actually help it be a beautiful service. They used to, help, they used to pay people to actually come and sing and, and cry with them, you know. And so they're all out there crying and stuff. Jesus says, hey, move out of the way. Let me in here. The girl's just sleeping. And they actually stop their weeping and laugh at him. One of the translations says they ridiculed him when he said that she was, she was just sleeping. So he goes in, he says, out with, out with everybody. He actually tells them to leave. So you thought Jesus was always a nice guy. He's like, get out of here. He takes the girl by the hand and raises her up to new life. Now I love that story because he does the same thing with Lazarus and he's going to do the same thing with us. He's going to do the same thing with us. That is our only hope, friends. Paul says this, the hope of Christianity is the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. And if we don't have the resurrection, we can all go home. You're just wasting your time. You shouldn't even be here. There's no reason to be here. You want to disprove Christianity? Disprove the resurrection. But my friends, you're not going to be able to do that. And many who have tried have actually converted to the faith because they see the evidence of Jesus' life and the Christian faith is evidence itself that there is a Redeemer that will stand upon the earth that reaches out to us to raise us from the dead out of our Egypt, out of our bondage, out of our slavery, out of our death. He can do that. He can do that today. There is no delay. If you reach out to Him, He will meet you. (laughs) So, there's many more things to be said, but let me say these things. When you are helping those who are grieving, think biblically. Don't just offer cheap answers. Don't offer answers from secular society. You know, I'm sending good vibes. What, What is that? You're sending a radio wave to me? I mean, what? I don't even understand good vibe. Again, I don't mean to you know, necessarily poo-poo on somebody's way of talking, but folks, that's just dumb. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Good vibe? There's no such thing. There's prayer. 
which goes to a real God that actually really works in our life. But there's no good vibes being sent out by some spirit in who knows where land going to who knows what land. We've been taught a lie by the enemy and it's laughable except people believe it. Not only that, walk with them through that valley of the shadow of death. They need your presence. That's what people need. They don't need your answers. They don't need your philosophies. Look, I would love to offer that sometimes. Especially when I hear cheap answers. I would love to say, hey guys, let's pause real quick. Let me give a lecture. I'm not going to do that in that moment of grief. There may be a time where I can correct someone down the line. But not then. You just grieve with them. Jesus doesn't come to Lazarus' tomb and start... Guys, let me give a little lecture here before I raise him from the dead. Uh, he doesn't do that. He simply weeps with them. Even though he knew they would rise again. It's fascinating, isn't it? And then pray. That's the most important thing you can do for someone. Do not downplay your prayers. Amen. God hears you. God responds to you. <laughs> he really does. It's something that um, it's the most powerful weapon we have as Christians and we rarely use it. We rarely unsheathe it. We keep it hidden. You say, well, I don't know what to pray though. Let me, in, you know, let, me let you in on a little secret. I don't either. <laughs> I'm dead serious. When I come to the hospital and someone's child has died or they've been in a bad wreck, I don't know what to say. But you know what the Bible says? Pray anyway. And the Spirit who knows the mind of God, now watch this, He knows the mind of God, and He also knows the words that we want to say, will speak to the Father on our behalf. And all the while, understand that Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, praying for us, mediating for us, interceding for us all the time. All three persons are praying for us. We just enter into that. We just open that communication line up, and the rest He takes care of. You just pray anyway. You pray and never stop. So, in conclusion, we live as if Jesus is already ruling. That's the, way, that's the kingdom of God, by the way. We live as if He's already ruling. And we are co-regents. Even though we know that we will die, we still live as if we're going to live forever. It's a fascinating thing. And so, we bring heaven down to earth just as He did. That's our job. We are light bearers. We are meant to bear His light. You know that Lucifer, that's what that name means, is light bearer? And yet he fell because he placed himself before God. And we will fail and we will fall if we place ourselves before God. Amen. And it's almost, it's very ironic, it's quite a story, to think that the one angel... You know, there's three archangels. The one angel that was the light bearer, his name literally, light bearer, is the one who fell, and now God has given us that job. Don't you think that makes him mad? The job he got fired from, handed the pink slip, 
is the job we now have. You don't think He hates us for that? I think He probably does. But we have the protection of the King. Amen. There's more with us than against us. That's good news, friends. Even in the face of our greatest enemy, which is death, that's good news. And it's good news to live by, so lift your heads to heaven. But don't just keep them there. Bring it right back down to those we're going to see this week. And bring heaven to them through your life, through your actions, through your prayers. And God bless you as you do so. Amen.